All right. Good morning, Central Church. How are you? Awesome. It is great to see you. And, and if you're not here live, if you're watching online this morning, we're glad you're joining us uh, here for our 1115 service, whether you're out in the concourse or wherever you are. We are just glad you're joining us this morning. And as you just saw, we're continuing a series. The series is called That's a Great Question. There's a threefold purpose for this series. Let me remind you of that. First, if you're a Christian, uh, we, we pray that these teachings will help you go deeper in your faith and give you a, a biblical foundation for cultural issues. Second thing is, we want to we want to empower you and help you uh, to step into conversations with people uh, around cultural issues or difficult topics, so that you can share with them what you believe about that topic from a biblical perspective. That's going to be what we talk about today as well. And then third, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, our, our prayer is that these services will bring you one step closer to surrendering your heart to Christ. Today, the question that we're going to be answering is, um, <clears throat> what does the Bible say about global warming and climate change? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we want to be like the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament. It says that they understood the times they lived in and they knew what to do. And so, Lord, would you help us to be that kind of people in a, in a world that is growing more and more angry and more and more hopeless, wandering farther and farther away from you, uh, more confused than ever about the issues of life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be light and salt, uh, that you would help us to be a voice of reason and truth, that you'd help us, Lord, to share what we believe from your word with love and respect, and God, that, that we would change the world in which we live in because of the truth that you've given to us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, this is a family worship Sunday, so we have some of our elementary students with us. Raise your hand if you're an elementary student. Just shoot it up high. Be proud of where you are in life. Okay, good, 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 good. Some down here. All right. All right. I need you to help me for a second as we get started in this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a, uh, a picture on the screen. And if you know what that picture represents, if you want to, stand up and, and you can share with me if I call on you, if I see you, share the answer. Okay. So I'm going to put a picture on the screen, and you, you're going to answer. What does this represent? Ready? Here's the picture. Okay. Recycling. That's right. Give her a hand. Now, I have a prize for you. Come on up. You can either have this candy bar or this toothbrush and toothpaste. You want this? Okay. Well, then you need this, too. So go ahead and... All right. Caring for the environment has become a major financial and political issue in our culture. And there's, there's two extreme responses. One is hysteria. The sky is falling. There's, you know, we're, we're doomed. Uh, the other is, uh, this is a political hoax. Uh, it's all fake news. We don't need to do anything about it. And neither one of those responses is God's heart or God's will for the situation. Um, it's become an incredibly expensive issue in our culture. And you may have had conversations with people about either uh, climate change or global warming. And what, what does the scripture you know, really say about that? Um, in 2022, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed by Congress, uh, committed about $390 billion to care for the environment. Uh, a recent study by Goldman Sachs indicates that with tax reductions and incentives, the cost of that will probably exceed $1.2 trillion 
since 2020, uh, because most bills now that get passed have something in there for the environment. It's estimated that since 2020, we have committed about uh, $2 trillion toward the environment. That's a, that's a lot of money. To give you some perspective, our annual um, federal spending is a little over $6 trillion. So that's quite a bit of investment in the environment, um, as you can tell. It's a, it's a growing issue and a growing debate in our culture. Um, by 2035, in the state of California, if you're gonna buy a new vehicle, it either needs to be electric or hydrogen powered. Can you imagine? Uh, 12 years from now, if you wanna buy a, a new car in California, it needs to either be electric, powered by electricity, or by, by hydrogen. Um, this thing is taking deep roots and driving the whole conversation is the issue of global warming and climate change. So let's bring some definition to those terms so we understand really what we're talking about this morning. Uh, global warming is the, let's read it together, just put it up there. Global warming is the, the gradual increase in the atmospheric and surface temperature of the earth. In other words, the earth is getting warmer, the earth's surface and its, its atmosphere. Um, climate change is the, the long-term alteration of both the temperature of the earth and the, the normal or typical weather patterns. So there's a change in the overall climate as a result of the warming of the earth's temperature. Um, most scientists believe that, that the earth is getting warmer or global warming is the result of human use of fossil fuels. Um, and as a result of that, they predict that there's going to be really catastrophic climatic circumstances, that, that global warming is going to lead to um, long-term uh, heat waves, to um, increased, the, the increased frequency and intensity of natural disasters like hurricanes and tornadoes and floods, earthquakes and tsunamis. It's going to lead to the rising of the acidity rate in the oceans going to lead to uh, marine damage, it's going to lead to crop failure, it's going to lead to animal extinction and all of those things. That, that if you go back and trace it back to the root of all of those issues, it's, it's human use of fossil fuel. Uh, so NASA says this about the issue. Oh, sorry about that. Scientific evidence continues to show that human activities, primarily the human burning of fossil fuels, have warmed the Earth's surface and its ocean basins, which in turn have continued to impact Earth's climate, scientific point of view. Let's look at a, a government point of view. This is a statement from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Since systematic scientific assessments began in the 70s, the influence of human activity on the warming of the climate system has evolved from theory to established fact. So again, global warming is the cause of climate change and leads to all of those adverse conditions in the climate that I just mentioned. So in, in uh, 1900, uh, the temperature of the Earth since then has increased by about two degrees Fahrenheit, which doesn't sound like a whole lot to the layperson, but it does affect the climate and has a significant influence. Um, since 1981, the rate of increase in terms of the climbing of the temperature has doubled since 1981, which again is the reason why scientists say that fossil fuel and the use of fossil fuel has increased the, the temperature rate of the Earth. Um, in the last 
15 years, uh, actually 12 years, since, since um, um, 13 years, since 2010, uh, 10 of the hottest years in history have been recorded. So in the last 13 years, 10 of those years have been the hottest years temperature-wise ever. So it seems fairly clear that the Earth's temperature is rising. I mean, do you remember what Ice Cube looked like? Look what he looks like now. Like, you see what he used to look like? And that on the right is what he, what he looked like. Global warming is, seems to be a... <laughs> the other services laughed a little bit more than you did on that one. <laughs> Maybe it's because someone after last night's service wrote me and said, Jeff, Baptists don't know who Ice Cube is, so maybe you don't. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, that made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> Whenever jokes bomb, you kind of lose your, your understanding. Some scientists, not all scientists, believe that fossil fuel is the cause of global warming and that global warming is leading to all of these disastrous climatic impacts in the Earth. Some contest the amount of warming in the Earth because they say uh, there's some places the Earth is getting hotter, but there's actually some places, some regions, where the Earth is getting colder. So how can you say that the entire Earth is rising in temperature? Other scientists dispute the threat um, that they say global warming is bringing because they say the earth compensates for high temperatures. There's self-regulating features in the earth's system that when the temperature gets too hot, it naturally offsets that. Some dispute the effect that, fo the, the, the effect that fossil fuels have on rising temperatures uh, because they say there have been other times in human history before major use of fossil fuel when um, the temperature spiked and it wasn't a result of fossil fuel. So they, uh, there are some scientists that, that question that. There, there's two problems with this debate from my perspective. The first problem is this, the debate as to whether you know, global, global warming is real, climate change is real, or whether it's not. Uh, and the first is this, it's become a political issue. Anytime something is politicized, we lose sight of the facts. In other words, what we do is we jump on board with our political party, and whatever our political party says is true, we believe that. Whether that's Republican, Democrat, in, Independent, whatever they believe about global warming and climate change, we tend to associate with our political party. And so we become blind to the real issues. And I wanna encourage you not to be blind, not to be influenced by a political party or a platform, but to research yourself and, and find out what you believe the facts actually are. The second problem I see inherent in this debate and conversation is they've removed God from the conversation. They're trying to make sense of climate, but they're removing the creator of the climate from the conversation. H how do you actually come to know meaning in life if you remove the author of life? How do you have a conversation about creation, the natural world and climate, when you remove the one who created it and has a purpose for it? So I think those are the two problems right now is it's a political issue. So we, we kind of get blinded to the facts. And the second thing is people are not including God and what he says about the situation in their conversations. So what does the Bible say about global warming and climate change? Let's share a few thoughts this morning. The first is this, God created the earth to be inhabited. God created the earth to be inhabited. Unlike every other planet in our solar system, which does not sustain life, God created the earth to sustain life. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. The Lord is God. 
God made the skies. God made the earth. He put the earth in its place. Again, how do we have a conversation about this issue if we remove God from the conversation? Because God made everything. God knows how everything works, and God has a purpose for it. He did not want the earth to be empty when he created it or made it. He created the earth to be what? Lived on, to be filled with life and to sustain life. I am the Lord and there is no other God. So because God wanted the earth to be inhabited, he had to make it a habitable place. He had to make it a, a, a place in which life would be sustained. And so what we see in the world is these self-regulating systems or cycles that, that promote and propagate life and continue and sustain life. Let me share a couple of those with you. The first is the, the carbon-oxygen cycle. So human beings need oxygen to survive. Oxygen fuels our cells. Oxygen is the, really the building blocks of our cells that promote uh, cellular reproduction, and we need that. In fact, we involuntarily breathe in oxygen about 17,000 times a day. Can you imagine? Why didn't God just make it so that we only needed five breaths a day, or, or we only needed 20 breaths, or 100? Why 17,000 breaths? Because you and I are completely dependent on what oxygen provides our human body for life. So we have a problem. We inhale oxygen, but we exhale carbon dioxide. So it's interesting that trees and plants need carbon to live. And so they receive carbon dioxide, and they exchange that for oxygen. So as long as the earth is filled with a balance of humanity and vegetation, the carbon-oxygen cycle will always be what it needs to be. Is that amazing? That God figured that out, that both plants and man can coexist and live continually because they work together in this carbon-oxygen cycle. You know, there's another cycle that God put into place to sustain life, and it's the reproductive cycle. I, I was greeting folks in all of the services coming in this morning. Couldn't help but notice some ladies coming in with a little pregnancy bump, or some, some cases more than a bump. Uh, I don't know what you call that, a swell. But, but, but they're, they're ready to give birth. And, and every time I see that, I just, I, I just laugh and, and I get excited. I'm like, God, you are so good to, to create the ability for humanity and plants and animals to reproduce according to their kind, to make sure that life continues generation to generation after generation. God created a reproductive cycle because the earth was to be inhabited and to have life. Another cycle is the water cycle. I've, sh I've shared this before. I just want to share it again. So, so the earth heats the surface waters on the earth, and that creates water vapor, and water vapor creates clouds, and those clouds then are driven by wind over the land masses in the earth, which creates precipitation when they get heavy enough. So, so rain and snow and way too much snow in some regions of the world happen. But, but it waters the earth so that plants can grow and we can eat and have life. Isn't that amazing that God figured that out? And then the excess water runs back into the rivers and the lakes, back into the oceans, and the process starts all over again so life can continue to be. Isn't it strange that God figured that out? The other water cycle is that when the earth gets really hot or too hot, that creates more water vapor and evaporation from the, the, the surface waters. And that creates more clouds in the sky. And those clouds then create a thick covering to keep the sun from heating the earth. And the earth cools down. Is it God created a way for the earth to cool down by itself? 
through this cycle of water that he created. There's another cycle that God put into place with organic waste materials. Dennis Dinger in his book talks about it. He says, early stages of decay of organic materials, plants, animals, produce natural gas. Did you know that? That these products that have decayed over the years, these organic materials, create natural gas. Our enormous reserves of crude oils and coals comes from vast deposits of decaying vegetation and animal life. Enormous quantities of vegetation must have grown over the face of the earth at some point in earth's history and then been buried and compacted to form these resources. God created fossil fuel. Isn't that interesting? In this cycle of regeneration where things, they, they have life, then they die, then they decay, and over time they become useful sources of fuel and energy for humanity. God is not against fossil fuel. God created these vast amounts in our earth so that uh, things can be empowered and those kinds of things. So uh, obviously, um, God created the earth to be lived in. And without those systems that God put in place, the earth would not have lasted up until today. The second thing is uh, sin corrupted the earth. Sin corrupted the earth. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. For the creation, when the Bible speaks of creation, it's talking about the natural world, the, the, the world that we live in was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. What does that mean? So creation, as though it was its own person, is frustrated because it's subjected to sin and the effects of sin. And it wasn't subjected, it didn't cause that itself. God allowed that to happen because God loved humanity enough that he gave humanity free choice and free will. And so humanity chose to rebel against God and to sin against God, and that ushered sin into the world. And so creation is now suffering because of man's choice to sin and disobey God. Let's keep going. In hope that the creation itself, the natural world, will be liberated or set free from its bondage or slavery, which it can't get out of, to decay. That word decay means corruption or ruin. The natural world is in slavery. It can't get out of it. It's in, it's in being corrupted by human sin that's been ushered in, or death. In other words, the earth is dying. The world is dying. The physical world is dying. And, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. What is, why the comparison between the earth being uh, corrupted by sin and dying with a woman in labor. Uh, because women, you know that when you are in labor, the closer you get to the point of birth, uh, the, the more intense and the more frequent the contractions are until that point of delivery. It's a comparison with the earth here, which has been corrupted by sin and, and is now actually, like some of the scientists are predicting, having greater climatic, disastrous things, floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, all of those things are happening at an increased rate and a more intense rate, and it's going to continue until Christ returns. So the, the earth is in, is in childbirth. It's, it's, it's breaking down. It's been corrupted by sin. So, so let's just say this. Adam's sin is the primary cause of global warming and climate change. 
not fossil fuel. Fossil fuel may be a secondary cause, but the primary cause is sin. Sin has caused the world to die. It's dying right now as we speak, okay? Now, let me say this. The earth is an incredible mansion that God gave us to live in. It's a temporary mansion, but it's a mansion. Now, last week, my wife and I were in California, and I got, to, I got to run a couple of days at Huntington Beach. So I'm running on the boardwalk at Huntington Beach. On my right side, it's lined with palm trees. On my left side, I've got the ocean, the surf, and the sun, and the sand, and all of that beauty. I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is crazy beautiful. Like, God gave us this to enjoy. This is a mansion that we get to live in. Sometimes my wife and I will walk out on the boardwalk on, on, or on the pier and we'll watch the surfers and we'll see these, these waves that God has created. They just faithfully come in and out and then guys get on their surfboard and they, they ride the waves. It's incredibly fun recreation. God gave us the earth to enjoy it. It's a wonderful mansion that we live in. Some of you snow ski and snowboard and you go up to the top of these mountains and you have this incredible ride and God created that for your pleasure. Whoa, whoa whoa. We've been to Yosemite National Park. We've been to Yellowstone National Park. We've been to Grand Canyon. We've been to Bryce Camp. We've been to all of these amazing places. We've been through Wyoming and, and Idaho and Montana. We just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you ever do that? Like, whoa, look at this. It's an incredible mansion that we get to live in, that God, God created for our, for our pleasure. But this house is breaking down. This beautiful mansion, the pipes are breaking, the siding's coming off the wall, the foundation's getting cracked a little bit because it's, it's breaking down. So, so we visited in California, my son and my daughter-in-law, and they bought an older condominium and they're having plumbing problems and they've already pretty much used all of their house insurance on previous problems. And so when we were there, they had to call a plumber more plumbing problems, and he came out to give them an estimate. <laughs> After he looked at it, he said the thing no homeowner ever wants to hear. He said to them, how long are you planning on living here? <laughs> they said, actually, we're thinking of moving. Like, we're probably going to be moving in the next few months. He goes, then my advice is just manage this. <laughs> Don't spend the thousands and ten thousands of dollars, however, however much it would be to rip up the foundation and to do all of this work and lose your insurance, whatever. I suggest you just manage it and move into a new home <laughs> that maybe is newer and doesn't have these problems. And here's the reality, friends. We live in a mansion that's breaking down and God's not going to fix it. He's going to build us a new one. God's not fixing it. God's not going to repair it. It's going to continue to break down. And then we have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth that we get to live in. Amen. So the third thing I want to say is God promised to sustain the earth. Not only did sin corrupt it and is sin killing it, but God promised to sustain it. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Genesis chapter 8, verse 21 and 22. The Lord was, this is after the flood, Noah had offered God a sacrifice, and it says the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. And he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. How many of you appreciate grace? Man, even though we're sinners, even though we, we, we sin all the time, God says, I'm going to still be good. I'm, I'm going to still extend grace. And he goes on. 
I will never again destroy all living things. Listen, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. God says, as long as the earth is necessary, and the only reason the earth is necessary is because God has a plan for people. So as long as God's plan for people is still going, the earth is going to be necessary. And God says, as long as the earth is necessary, I'm going to sustain it. You don't need to panic. You don't need to get hysterical about global warming and climate change because I'm, I'm sustaining it with my power. Jesus, Paul says this about Jesus in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1. For by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things. That means Jesus was eternal. He existed before the world was created. And in Jesus, all things hold together. That means endure and are sustained. Christ is upholding the universe with his power. And he will continue to uphold it as long as God's plan for human history continues. And the reason God is, is waiting and holding out is because he wants as many people as possible to be saved and to be in the new heaven and the new earth with him. Have you already made that decision? I mean, he is holding out on history. He is sustaining the earth for you if you don't know Christ so that you can come to know him and have eternal life with him. But see, you know, we think, well, we are destroying the planet and we are, we are going to bring the planet by our carelessness to an end way before, you know, necessary. And that's not true because God is sustaining this. Okay. So when we plan a church budget, when we think about the upcoming year or the next two years or the next five years, we think about our facility and we say, we ask questions like, do we need new carpet? Are we going to need new carpet this year, next year, in five years? What about the painting? Do we need to paint anything? What about the roof? What about the parking lot, as you can see? Do we, do we need to? And so then we budget for corrections. We budget for repairs. We budget for breakdowns. We budget for things that need to happen. And when God thought about creating the world, he saw the end from the beginning. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew the degree to which man was going to be careless with the earth. He knew the degree to which we might abuse the earth. And he said, okay, I'm going to set a plan in place considering all of that. In other words, God budgeted for our mistakes. God thought through our mistakes, our wear and tear on the universe that he had created, the earth that he had created, and he built all of that. And all of that is already considered by God. And so nothing is going to happen before God says it's time to fold everything up and bring a new heaven and a new earth to us. Number four, God controls weather for his purpose. God controls the climate. God controls the weather for his purpose. And again, this is where science is missing it. They're, they're, they're not considering the creator of the universe when they think about creation. They're not thinking about the God who controls the climate when they're trying to figure out the climate. How do you figure out climate problems if you're not considering the one who rules and governs the climate who is God? Let's look at a couple of scriptures. God, Jesus said that in, in Matthew 5, 45, God causes his son, that's the sun in the sky. Whose is it? Who created it? Who owns it? And who rules it? God does. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
Sun and rain are necessary, as you farmers know, to produce crops. Uh, Israel in the first century was an agricultural society. They, they needed God's favor. They needed, they needed sun and rain to make a living. And, and, and it says that God is so good, he does it to the, the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. God cares about people and he wants them to, to survive. And so he provides sunshine and rain. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Job says a similar thing in Job 5.10. says, God gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. Skip ahead to the New Testament. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus is sailing on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and a storm breaks out, and the boat fills with water. The disciples are worried that they're going to perish, and they wake Jesus up. And it says, when Jesus woke, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. When Jesus stepped into the earth, he was God in the flesh. Anytime Jesus overruled a storm or, or showed authority over nature, it was sh simply showing that God has power and control over the universe, over the created world. So we started by saying God controls um, climate or weather for his purpose. So the second thing I want to say about that is um, God brings catastrophic weather sometimes to get our attention so that we'll turn to him. Let's look at a couple scriptures. Back in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, God says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, God has the power to do that. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send plague or pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal what? Their land, the land which had been in a drought, the land which hadn't produced crops because God had shut up the heaven and not pr pr uh, brought rain. God will restore that. God will give them healthy crops and healthy agriculture again. He brought drought. He shut up the heavens to turn their eyes to God so they would seek God. And sometimes God allows these disasters so that we will turn our eyes and our heart toward him. Let's go to another passage. Luke chapter 21, Jesus is talking about the, the last days or the end times. And he says, there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. Again, climatic uh, disasters. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, what things? The roaring of the seas, all of these disasters, these climatic issues, when you see these things coming to a head, look up. Stand and look up because your salvation is near. God, God wants us to recognize that as the earth experiences more and more judgment through weather, it's supposed to open our eyes to the fact that a greater judgment is coming at the end of the age for all humanity. And are you ready? See, see weather patterns and these climatic disasters are supposed to get us to look not just to the weather, but the God beyond the weather who can save us to get us to look up because Christ is coming soon. As I mentioned before, we're just gonna see an increase of these things. As the world continues to break down, continues to be compromised by sin, we're gonna see more earthquakes, more storms, more disasters, more floods, more famines, more all of those things. 
because God is trying to get our attention to the fact that the world is coming to an end. And the question is, are you ready? Do these disasters in the world, do they turn your eyes toward God? Like, maybe I better get my life right with God. Maybe that's what he's trying to, to show me. The last thing I want to say this morning is this. We are to, to care for the earth. Point number five, we are to care for the earth. The Lord God, Genesis 1:26. God placed man in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend and to watch over it. So our responsibility as people on the earth, especially as Christians, is to be good stewards and managers of the earth, to care for it. Um, we, we are not to be wasteful with the earth's resources. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 19 and 20 says this. When you're making war against a city, you might surround that city for a long time to cut off food and water supplies. You must not cut down the fruit trees around that city. Isn't that interesting? Don't, don't cut the fruit trees. Why? Because fruit trees produce fruit. They have a purpose. So use the resources God has given them according to their purpose. Don't be abusive with them. Don't be careless. But you must not cut them down. Trees are not the, the enemy. Trees are not the, the cause of your problems. So don't make war against them. He goes on. But you may cut down the trees that you know are not fruit-bearing trees. You may use these trees to build weapons for making war against that city. You may use them until the city fails. Use the earth's resources as God intended them to be used. It's a simple message in Deuteronomy. Don't be abusive. Don't be careless. Don't be excessive. Take good care of the things that God has given us to use. Uh, we, we are to care for the earth, not because we're afraid of survival, but because we're grateful for the good earth that God has given to us. So as Christians, what should our responsibility be to the environment? We should be leading the way. It shouldn't be the environmentalists that are leading the way. It should be God's people that are leading the way. We should be promoting recycling. We should be planting trees that are being cut down unnecessarily. We should use clean energy when possible. We should limit our use of fossil fuels and be conservative in that area. Farmers, give your land a Sabbath. We need to do the things that God says are helpful to taking care of the earth that God has given us. We are, in other words, to care for it, but we're not to worship it. We are to worship the creator, not the creation. God so loved the world that the, the, the people of the world, not the earth. Jesus didn't die for trees. Jesus died for people. And so we are to, to honor the, the, the earth and the creation God has given us, but not worship it because it's coming to an end. We are to worship the creator. We are to honor God and fear him. And I want to just close with, with uh, the scripture in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. On that day, God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God has promised, a world filled with righteousness. Why, why is that important that it's filled with righteousness? Because that means it's, there's no sin. That world's gonna last forever, it's eternal. Compared to the world we live in right now that's, that's corrupted by sin and is passing away. So, so the question is, are you going to be part of God's people that enjoy the new heaven and the new earth forever with God? Have you made the decision to reverence Jesus Christ in your heart. That, that's the decision. And so God is, is, is bringing all of these things in the earth, all of these, these climatic issues and all of these things we're seeing as signs, Jesus said, to point us to the coming of Christ, to point us to a future judgment. And the question is, are you ready for that judgment? Have you surrendered your life to God?
Are you his? Are you among his people? And ready to face that day with confidence in your life. As you step into these conversations with people about these kinds of issues, global warming, climate change, as they've re removed God from the, the conversation, I want to encourage you to talk to them about bringing God back into the conversation. The problem is they're trying to figure out climate without the creator of the climate. Did you know that nothing in life makes sense apart from God and a knowledge of him? Do you know what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter one, verses one and two, the very book of the book of Ecclesiastes? Here's what he said. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? That phrase under the sun is used 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Do you know what it means? Apart from God, without God. In other words, everything in life is meaningless without God. We can't make sense of it. We can't really make sense of suffering. We can't really make sense of death. We can't really make sense of the creation. We can't make sense of marriage. We can't make sense of family. We can't make sense of work without God. Everything is meaningless apart from an understanding of God and what he says about life. Proverbs 9:10. Solomon also said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You haven't begun to understand life until you know God. Knowledge of God is understanding. As you step into these conversations, ask people if they've, if they're looking at this issue from God's perspective, because the very beginning of understanding our world and understanding life begins with an understanding of God. Will you stand with me this morning?